Our lecture tonight will look at answering a series of questions which naturally arise from the subject of our lecture. That being, what is death? Why does God need to save us from death? How can he save us from death? What is the purpose of saving us from death? And what we can do to participate in this salvation that is offered by God? This subject, you might appreciate, is actually widespread in its subject matter, and it will, we will deal with tonight many fundamental teachings from the Bible. We unfortunately don't have the time to cover everything in our lecture, but hopefully our study tonight will excite you to look into these matters further and discover more about them. In the age that we live in, it's been said that two things are certain, death and taxes. Death is something that affects and attacks everyone. It attacks young and old, rich and poor, strong and weak. There appears to be no one that is outside the reach of death. In one fleeting moment, a body of life, healthy, active, can be struck down and die. And what remains is a fading memory of their brief existence. Now, I can appreciate this is a rather sad and morbid picture to begin our lecture, but is this what we really believe the God of creation has his only purpose with creation is? Did God really form this world so that man could expend all his life seeking vain pleasures only to die a short period later and return to the dust from whence he came? Well, the churches around us claim that they have the answer to this threat of death. The idea they set forth might sound very attractive. They preach a doctrine that says a man, when a man dies and his body corrupts, there is within him some sort of divine particle called a soul. They set forth that this soul is immortal and after death it either makes its way to heaven or it makes its way to hell. It is claimed that this theory is based upon the teachings of the Bible. But if you read it carefully, from beginning to end, you'll find that this is not the case. It is not taught in the Bible. The Bible actually reveals a much more satisfying hope than the teaching of an immaterial soul floating to a kingdom beyond the skies. The theory which is preached by the churches around us must not be, accurate, be accurately taught from the Bible because our lecture tonight actually makes the statement that God can save you from death. If death is the sweet release of a divine particle to join God in a kingdom beyond the skies, then the title of our lecture tonight is actually incorrect because God doesn't need to save us from death. Our lecture tonight will actually be based on the Bible and why the Bible teaches us that salvation is required from death. And we will find this evening that this salvation can only be provided by God. If the theory of the immortality of the soul were true and the grave did open a portal to eternal bliss and joy, then death would be a blessing and it would not be a curse and everyone would desire it. Unfortunately, if this theory were true, God would actually be a liar. In Genesis chapter 3, we, have, we read the record of how sin entered into the world. We're told there that Adam and Eve disobeyed the divine commandment and as a result, they were cursed because of this disobedience. The curse which was delivered to Adam was that he would return unto the dust from whence he came. Now, without trying to be too confrontational here, but when you really look at the facts of the theory and its outworkings, 
you will find that they are nothing more than the imaginations of men who have corrupted their ways before God. The main issue with the belief of this theory of the immortality of the soul, above all else, is that people actually close their eyes to the facts of the Bible and they willingly accept the false doctrine that is set before them. What the Bible teaches us is that man is mortal and that he is subject to death and that he is a dying creature. We are taught this in verses such as Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4, which is on the screen there. Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. This verse tells us here that souls can die, and if it can die, it cannot be immortal. In Acts 3 verse 23, we have similar words. It says, It shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among his people. So again, someone who does not hearken to the words of the prophet, that same person will be destroyed and would die. Outside of the Bible, we ourselves see this in everyday life. We see sickness and death on every side. Man has no solution to curing the multitudes of sicknesses that face, his, face people. So if man is a dying creature and he is subject to mortality and death, but the death state is not one that allows the divine particle to make its way to heaven or down to hell. What does the Bible actually tell us happens when we die? Well, the Bible tells us that death is a reality in every sense of the word. It is described as a state of complete unconsciousness during which life is extinct and the body corrupts and decays and returns to dust. It is a complete and total cessation of life. The verse we mentioned before, Genesis 3 verse 19, tells us the divine commandment from God, because Adam had sinned. Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. This idea of the death state is further illustrated for us in other passages, such as Psalm 6 verse 5. Psalm 6 verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? Further illustrated in another Psalm 115 and verse 17. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. And then again by the words of the wise men in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10. We read his conclusion of this section that says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Now these verses present but a short portion of the total evidence that is found in the Bible concerning the death state. And these verses all teach us that man is mortal and that death is absolute. Now if this is what the Bible teaches us, that death is a state of utter unconsciousness, we find ourselves in a position where we can appreciate the subject of our lecture. We find ourselves in a helpless state from which we cannot remove ourselves. In this state, we can search the Bible to find out the promise of God concerning the death state and the salvation that he has offered for us. 
The salvation that God offers from this death state is called in the Bible eternal life. Now, whilst the Bible clearly shows that immortality or eternal life is not inherent in a man, it is something that has been promised by God in the Bible. We find this idea taught in passages such as 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, where John writes there, And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. And we find it also in the letter to Titus, chapter 1, verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. In these verses, we find that the Bible teaches eternal life is a promise. It's a hope. It's a reward for the righteous. It is not taught as being an inherent possession which man has a right to. It's actually described elsewhere in the Bible clearly in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's clearly described here as a gift. If men had an inherent divine particle within themselves that was preserved after death and drifted to either heaven or hell, it seems very strange that the Apostle Paul would write here that it is a gift of God. To put this suggestion into simple terms, it's as if it was your birthday and for a present, your dad went into your cupboard and he took a pair of your socks and then he gave them to you as a present. How can you receive a gift if you already have it? If you did already have it, then it wouldn't be considered a gift. As these verses show, despite the teachings of the churches at large, eternal life or immortality is something that must be attained. It's not something that a person has in the form of a soul. It is something promised and not something currently possessed. This then makes our our lecture title very clear. Mankind needs salvation from death because it is not the release to travel to the skies. It is actually the entire resolution into the dust. What we also find in the Bible is that God is the only one who can provide this salvation. Well, having examined the evidence in God's word, which demonstrates that man is not created within a mortal soul, but he is in fact a death-stricken creature as a result of sin, we find that the Bible also provides comfort that our merciful creator has not left the human race without any hope. He set before mankind a hope of eternal life and participation in his kingdom, which we will find is to be established upon this earth. Now the promise of our merciful creator is contained in his word, the Bible. In this book, we find the promises of living again after death. This is part of the mission of Jesus Christ, which he tells us in John chapter 11, verse 25. When he was communicating with his friend Martha, in John 11, verse 25, he says to her, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. 
This, we find, is a firm belief of the Apostle Paul. He did not believe in a divine particle floating to heaven when he died. He believed the only means of salvation from death was resurrection from the dead. He declared this to be the case in Acts chapter 23 and verse 6. We're standing before the, the Sanhedrin, which was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. We read there in Acts 23 verse 6, And when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called into question. Now we find that this faithful belief is not held by only men in the New Testament. It is actually held by people in the Old Testament. We find faithful people like Job. He tells us in Job chapter 19 verse 25, Job chapter 19 verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Job tells us here his full confidence of the future state. He looked not for a kingdom in the skies, but he looked for his Redeemer to stand on the earth in the last days. Faithful men like Daniel also believed in this resurrection from the dead. Our reading tonight in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. We read there, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to, everlast to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, when we talk about the word resurrection in reference to the Bible, it comes from the Greek word, which I don't know how to pronounce, but it signifies to stand up, to rise up, and it relates to the idea of rising again. It refers to the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and also of other people. The Bible teaches that the person who is resurrected comes out of the grave mortal or in a corruptible state, and it is only when found accepted at the judgment seat that they are granted immortality. Now it is sometimes claimed that the resurrection of the dead is impossible because there would be not sufficient room on the earth for all the countless billions that have ever lived to be raised. Now, in fact, only a small minority will ever enjoy the experience of the resurrection. The Bible teaches us that those who lack an understanding of God's purpose and word will not actually be raised from the dead. We read concerning this in Psalm 49, Verse 19 to 20. In Psalm 49, verse 19 to 20, we read, He shall go to the generation of his fathers, they shall never see light. Man that is in honour and understandeth not is like the beast that perish. Here we have the divine summation of man who lacks an understanding of the things of God. He's no different than to the beasts that perish. So we find that this offer is only for a select group of people. It's not everyone and anyone. If we turn over to the words of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, we will find that belief and baptism 
are essential parts of this offering of salvation. Jesus says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, to his disciples, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. So belief requires an understanding and belief in what God has testified concerning Jesus, God's purpose, God's work, and the future promises offered through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in John 3 verse 5, we won't turn to it, that a man must be born of water and of spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, we don't have time to consider the Bible teaching on baptism this evening. But what the Bible teaches simply is that baptism is not a special, special ritual in which anything magical actually happens. It is an act in which a person commits themselves to a new way of life as a consequence of understanding the significance of the act that they are undertaking. The person submits themselves to an acknowledgement of the ways of God and they try to live their life according to the principles and commandments that God teaches in his word, the Bible. What this teaches us is that true righteousness is dependent on understanding the will and purpose of God. As we saw in Mark chapter 16, an intelligent understanding of the gospel is required. An intelligent understanding and belief in the gospel and things of God is required because this actually enables a person to respond to the commandments of God in a way that is pleasing to him. The revelation of God in the Bible is not merely designed to teach people something. It's actually designed to change people and to prepare them for the promises made by God. The more these people use the word of God to direct their lives, the more they conform themselves to his ways and become a substance of mental and moral reflections of God rather than animated dust. This conforming prepares us for the salvation that God has offered in the Bible. Now, an understanding of God and his purpose and his ways is necessary for resurrection. Jesus taught in his doctrine in John chapter 11, verse 25, that we saw before. He says there that those who believe will live again. In this declaration, he explains that knowledge is the grounds of responsibility. As we have established, belief in the gospel is required to respond to the commandments of God. This belief and understanding of the things of God, whether baptised or not, holds us accountable to God. This accountability makes us responsible to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It does not matter if we perform the will of God or not in our lives. An understanding of these things means that we are held responsible in the eyes of God. Now the Bible teaches us those who are considered responsible, whether they are just or unjust, will be raised from the dead and together with the living will be gathered at what is called the judgment seat of Christ and that is to occur at his second coming. We find this told for us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, we read, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, or a Bible term for living, and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. 
At this judgment seat, those who are raised will be rewarded according to their deeds. This we are told in Romans chapter 2 and verse 7. Romans chapter 2, reading from verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. To those who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, eternal life. And then we read this idea again taught by our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Where we read, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. Now the word in this verse, verse 28, therefore, grave, is a remembered tomb, and it is remembered by God. We find there that it says there, and those that have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. And we find elsewhere this teaching in the Bible that those who are raised and found unworthy of eternal life will actually just return into the grave from whence they came. We are told of this in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 11. It is styled by the Bible what's called the second death. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the, the churches. Or He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now, unfortunately, most people live in utter ignorance of the ways of God, and they will remain forever in the grave. We would consider it, rightly so, unreasonable for God to raise them from the dead only to judge them unworthy and then to return them to the dust from whence they came. Well, so far our lecture tonight has that the Bible teaches us that man is a mortal creature of the dust. When he dies, he enters a state of entire unconsciousness. There is nothing beyond the grave when he dies. But we've also found that the Bible teaches us that God has offered the few people who respond and believe his commandments, the promise of eternal life. The question we must now find in the Bible is where this eternal life is going to be spent. It is a common belief and teaching that heaven is a reward of the righteous. But if you search your Bible carefully, you will find that such a, te such a teaching is not found anywhere in its pages. This teaching was confirmed by Jesus in John chapter 3 and verse 13, if we'll have a look at that. John chapter 3 and verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And this idea of no man ascending to heaven is reiterated by the Apostle Peter, in the early chapters of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, at verse 29 and verse 34. In verse 29, he says, Men and brethren, let, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. 
and then in verse 34, For David is not ascended up into heaven, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. So if the Bible teaches us that man doesn't go to heaven, what it actually teaches throughout, both in the New and Old Testament, is that eternal inheritance upon the earth is what is offered by God. If we have a look at Psalm 37, we find that the blessings promised in this chapter are actually to inherit the earth. Psalm 37, so in verse 9, we see, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. In verse 11, the meek shall inherit the earth. Verse 22, For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth. And verse 29, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein for, forever. Now, these promises were reiterated by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, where he delivered his Sermon on the Mount, and we read there in verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The Psalms tell us, that we just read previously, that there is a time coming and it promises that the wicked shall not be that they shall be cut off, but that the righteous shall inherit the earth. Now this, we would all accept, is not the case today. We live, unfortunately, in an age when the wicked seem to prosper on every side. But the promise of God is that there is coming a time when they shall be cut off. What more blessed time could a person desire than an eternal inheritance on an earth that is freed from oppressions and the evils of today? The promise of God of eternal life on the earth is required for his faithful believers because when his son Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, he's going to not only judge the world, but he's also going to establish a kingdom. This kingdom, the Bible tells us, is going to be very different to any other kingdom that has ever gone before it. We learn of this kingdom in the book of Daniel. You come with me to Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel chapter 2 tells us of the events of a certain period of time. If we look in verse 28, it says there, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. The time period that we are dealing with is styled by Daniel, the latter days. Again, we haven't had the time, we don't have the time to go into it this evening, but we, we believe we are living in the latter days before Christ's second coming. And we know this from certain signs around us in the world, such as Israel once more established in the land of promise. But in Daniel chapter 2, if you come over with me to verse 44, we find the prophecy tells us what's going to happen in the latter days. We find there, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, 
but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. We read there, in these days, the God of heaven is going to establish a kingdom. But this kingdom is going to be very different than any that have gone before it. This kingdom, we are told, is not going to be left to other people. We are told that it shall never be destroyed. And the only way for this to occur, the only way that this kingdom can stand forever, is that the people who occupy this kingdom are immortal. If we look further into the verses, we find that this kingdom is said to consume all the kingdoms which have previously gone before it. These kingdoms had their territory on the earth. Therefore, the kingdom which is coming and shall last forever is to be found to occupy the earth. This is further told for us in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 27. Daniel 7 and verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. We find this further detailed for us in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 5, verse 9 to 10. We read here the saints represented singing a new song unto Christ. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, we read there, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. See, the, the redeemed saints there are represented by singing that Christ has redeemed them and that they are to reign on the earth. This is what the Lord encouraged his disciples to pray for. When asked by them to teach them how to pray, he begins by showing them that they should pray for, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ himself recognised the day was coming when the possession of this kingdom was to occur, and it was to occur because God had promised in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 9 that the earth was going to be full of the glory of God. In Isaiah chapter 11 verse 9 we find, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the, God, of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we find also in that day, detailed for us in the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 9, we read there, and The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord, and his name one. It tells us there that he shall be king over all the earth. In that day he shall be served as the true God of heaven and earth. What a wonderful promised time that is presented before us all. We found tonight that the Bible teaches us that man is wholly mortal. 
a creature of the earth, and he does not possess in him any immortal particle. But we also found that the Bible teaches us that man has not been left without hope. God has provided a wonderful promise, a promise that though a man may die and return to the dust, if he is considered worthy, God is able to save him from death by resurrection and bestow the wonderful gift, even eternal life. But we also found that this promise is not unconditional. It will be, priv it will be the privilege of those who faithfully follow Christ now to rule with him as his immortal associates at his return and in his kingdom, which the Bible clearly tells us is to be established over the whole earth. But as we found, if we are to be joined to this glorious company, we need to come to an understanding of the purpose of God. We need to submit to his will, firstly through baptism and then by obeying his precepts. By doing these things, we are assured by God, which we are told in Titus, who cannot lie, that though we may be dead, yet shall we live. And if we are found worthy at the judgment seat of Christ, be bestowed with immortality to rule over the earth with Christ as part of his kingdom, which shall have no end. But, Daniel tells us, shall grow until the earth is filled with immortal beings who bring praise, honour and glory to God. Such a glorious time is promised to any and all according to the promise of God. We therefore strongly encourage you to search your Bible to discover these wondrous things promised and seek and understand the gospel that God has recorded. A blessed time is promised to all who are found worthy, and we believe this time is shortly to come to pass.